If you take your Bibles and turn back to Luke chapter 2 this morning, we'll look at a number of passages of Scripture as we celebrate this Christmas season on this particular day and draw your attention to what the Old Testament had promised and what the New Testament delivers upon as far as the revelation of God and the plan of God unfolding before the eyes of His people. In the Old Testament, we read often of the consolation of Israel or Israel's consolation. This refers to the promised Messiah from ages ago where God had promised a deliverer and a Messiah to the nation of Israel and to His people. They had waited for generations. And the promise was that this Messiah would come to console, to alleviate their grief, to take away their sense of loss, to eliminate their trouble, and to to bring them to the presence of God, to remove their sorrow and comfort the nation in some of the most difficult of times. But at the close of the Old Testament canon, before the opening of the New Testament canon and the delivery of the Gospels, was a span of more than 400 years. And during that context of those 400 years, God wasn't speaking to His people or as a nation to His people. God was, in essence, silent. It's not that He wasn't there. It's not that He wasn't sovereign. It's not that He wasn't working among and on behalf of His people. But He simply wasn't speaking to the prophets. He simply wasn't giving scriptures. He, he simply was silent. And the big question during this time of Israel waiting for their consolation, the coming of their Messiah, created this question in their mind. Why isn't God speaking? Does He remember His promise? Is He going to keep His promise? How long can we wait? So, we reflect upon that reality, the consolation of Israel was that time and period, even in the 400 years of silence, in which there was a a season of promise, a season where God's people, even in the midst of His silence, would have to believe. They would have to go back and rehearse the teachings of the prophets. They would have to go back and rehearse the words of God. They would have to go back and remember the promises of God. And even those, those promises do not come to fruition, they must cling during that season of silence to the promises that God had made to them. Sometimes that is easier than at other times. But what Israel and God's people would have to do was hold on to the promises of God, even in the darkest places of life. Glory in the darkest places. One of the songs that we've introduced in this Christmas season is a new song called Glory in the darkest place. It reflects this silence of God and the waiting of Israel for their consolation, their encouragement, the fulfillment of a prophecy given long before the rescue of a nation. The words of that song say, out of the depths of silent night, Emmanuel, hear our cry. Our grief is strong and our burdens are great. The night is long and hope is faint. In the period of their waiting, some would fall away. In the period of their waiting, some would begin to doubt. In the period of their waiting, some would begin to wonder if God was ever going to keep His promise. But in that season of promise, there was a faithful remnant 
And it is to that faithful remnant that God speaks. The speech that he offers on behalf of the angels and in the person of Jesus Christ was a consolation that was different than perhaps what they were waiting for. It wasn't going to make them necessarily a great nation. He wasn't going to take away their hurt or their grief to somehow take away a sense of loss and restore them to remove their trouble. No, Jesus came to deal with their sin, and that was their ultimate problem. Yet I'm not sure they all saw it that way. So as the night was long and their hope was faint, Jesus speaks into that darkness and that season of celebration. And the song champions, you came to set the captives free, a morning star of joy and peace. Why does this darkness feel so deep? Why can't our spirits see? Glory, glory, glory in the darkest place. Glory, 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 let your mercy reign. And as that faithful remnant hung on in that season of promise, as they clung to the promises of God, God heard their cry. And after some 400 years, out of the depths of silent night, a Savior born, a mother's sigh. The darkness trembled at this star, a beam of hope for troubled hearts. You came to make your blessings known and bear our curse of death alone. You came to share our sufferings, so in our sorrow we could sing. Israel's consolation was here. The child and the birth of the child was here. But even in that day, it wasn't a social media culture. It took some time for the word to spread throughout all of the lands that Israel's consolation, Israel's promise had been fulfilled, and the person of the coming of the Messiah We come across one person in particular in the context of the book of Luke, who had been waiting most of his life for Israel's consolation, being faithful to worship the temple in Jerusalem. And his name is Simeon. In Luke chapter 2, verses 25 and on, we're introduced to him, and it says that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And as it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, he had been given this promise by by God himself that he would see the consolation of Israel, the fulfillment of God's promise, the coming of the Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple on that particular day when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He would go on to speak to Mary and Joseph His season of promise had been fulfilled. God had spoken into the culture. God had revealed the Messiah to Simeon, and he celebrates and he worships this glorious king. 
And he moves from a season of promise to, to a season of hope, a season now of confident expectation that the Messiah had come. Much would happen in Jesus' life from this point forward, and much would happen amongst the Jewish people during that particular time as well. Some things never changed. There would be those who would fall away. There would be those who reject what the Messiah offered because they weren't interested in some payment or ransom for sin, but just to be restored as a nation, to be set among the people, to be given some comfort in the sorrows of life, to receive all of the promises that God had made throughout the Old Testament. Those who were faithful, that faithful remnant again, who were sustained in a season of promise, now enter into a season of hope. And in that season of hope, there's a confident expectation. And Simeon expresses that confident expectation of this coming King and the restoration of Israel and the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the coming of salvation to all people. And he says, both Gentiles and your people, Israel. A reflection on the text also reminds us that in this season of hope, he was joined by numerous people. We first see it on that mountainside where the angels appear in the middle of the night, recorded for us in Luke chapter 2. And an angel of the Lord, verse 9, appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed round about them, and, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said, for, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He would rescue them from their sin. He would be the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 53 of its prophecy. And the accompaniment of this consolation of Israel and fulfillment of promise would bring in a season of hope that is reflected in the shepherds as they marveled at the things that they had seen. And they went and made known and told everyone what they had seen concerning this child. And all who heard the message of the shepherds wondered at what they were saying. They were spreading the hope. They were spreading the message. The Messiah had come. It is no longer a season of promise and waiting, but it is a season of reality and a season of hope, a confident expectation. He is here. And that confident expectation and the fulfillment of God's promise to Simeon, we find Anna the prophetess as well in chapter 2. And she's introduced in verse 36. And she had been with her husband and now a widow for 84 years. She is far advanced in her years. And yet through all of those 84 years, she did not depart from the temple, continued worshiping and fasting, prayer night and day. And in that season of promise, crying out for the consolation of Israel. And she too, at that very hour that Jesus was presented in the temple as his parents brought them in, she began to give thanks to God for the fulfillment of that promise and the season of hope that they would enter into. And she would begin to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And in that season of hope, she proclaimed, he is, he is here. We no longer have to wait for the promise. We no longer have to, to go through fear and suffering. He, he is here. The Messiah has come. 
there's a hopeful component to that, that cry that she, she offers and the fulfillment of the promise of God. And as she lived through those years and that season of promise, she now is ushered into a season of hope, and she sees the Messiah from her faithfulness. We also see the same thing of Mary and Joseph, and even prior to the birth of Elizabeth, as the child in her womb leaps for joy in the presence of the King, the Messiah, in the womb of Mary. Indeed, this was a season of hope for the nation of Israel. It was indeed a season of hope for the Gentile nations throughout all of the earth, for God had fulfilled His promise, and Messiah had come, and He had come to save His people from their sin. He had come to rescue them, not from their lives, but from the very enemy of God, that the reality of death, the sin that taints every human being. And whether they understood all of that or not, it's hard to know, but they did believe in the promises, and now they're clinging to the hope that He is here. I find it interesting as you go through this text, both in the first and second chapter, and then comparison passages of Scripture, when it addresses and, and deals with this this story of Christmas, if you would, that there are a number of songs that reflect the hope, a number of songs that we sing that reflect the consolation of Israel. You've heard one just recently called the hope of the angels. The prophets had glimpsed and the angels had watched with awe the unfolding plans of our faithful, redeeming God. And what they had longed for, we have seen. And what was promised, we believe. The hope of the ages, Isaiah's great light, the hope of the ages, David's true son, the desire of nations, promised salvation, God with us. In that season of promise, it was simply a vision that was clouded and unfulfilled for more than 400 years. But in the season of hope, they can now see. And what has been promised has been made clear and redemption has come in the person of the Messiah, and the Word had become flesh to rescue them from their sin. And in that song that was sung for us, it reminds us that all hail the one now revealed to the world, and Bethlehem born to a young virgin girl, lamb without blemish yet cruelly betrayed, who cried it is finished and rose from the grave, the Father's great gift and the proof of His love the hope of the ages, our God here with us. So as they found themselves in this season of hope, after the fulfillment of a promise, they reflected and their behavior showed a a season of worship, if you would, a season where God's people and the nations would get together at the salvation that comes in Christ and worship And all throughout this text and account and all throughout the the account and the narrative of the birth of Christ, we see worship in stunning and glorious capacities, beginning on that hillside as the angels in unison sing and shout glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. We see worship on an individual level through this man Simeon, who was faithful for years, going to the temple to be reminded of the promise to embrace the hope in the form of child and offering his worship 
for the king. Now let your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. That is a statement of worship. Anna worships as he speaks to all about this Christ child and all who were waiting for redemption. Zechariah and Elizabeth and the child in the womb worshiped as he leapt in the presence of the king. And even in the text in chapter 2, Mary and Joseph were worshiping. They were fulfilling the requirements of the law. They had brought Jesus for purification. They had brought Jesus for dedication. They had brought him for circumcision. They were worshiping at the very time that they present him in the temple. They teach us and show us a pattern of worship and this season of redemption and the celebration of the birth of our Savior. And in this Christmas season, we learn not just from the shepherds and Simeon and Anna and Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph, we, we learn of Herod and the wise men from the east. But when they find the Christ child, we are told in Matthew chapter 2, fell down and worshiped him. Again, a reminder, this wasn't just one day. This was a season of promise, 400 years. This was a season of hope, that season where Jesus Christ would live and die over the span of some 34 years. But it was a season of worship as well as they connected the dots and their eyes beheld their King. And from the early church, it was a season of celebration. And it would be a season of celebration first linked to December 25th by Julius Africanus, one of the first persons to connect it and the celebration December 25th in the third century. In the fourth century, it, it, it made its mark on the Roman calendar. And in the fifth and the sixth century, it became a common season of worship for all of those who received and accepted Jesus as Messiah. For what was promised now appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by the angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. And while He was here, the people learned in this season of worship how to worship Him. You know, you reflect upon that story and the season of promise. You reflect upon that story and the season of hope. You reflect upon that story and the season of worship, and there's much for us to learn because there are times in our lives and there are seasons in our lives where we ask the same question, why isn't God speaking? Where is He? Where is He? He's made us these great and precious promises. And in that season of promise, we are waiting for Him to intervene. He always does, but it's always on His time. Remind you of the song that was sung, Light of the World. And I believe that much of our world waits in a season of promise. The words of the song, the world waits for a miracle. The heart longs for a little bit of hope. Oh, come Oh, come, Emmanuel. A child prays for peace on earth, and she's calling out from a sea of hurt, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And can you hear the angels sing glory to the light of the world? Glory, the light of the world is here.
seasons of promise where we cling in faithfulness to a God who has promised us great and mighty things result in seasons of hope. We're maybe not in an audible voice and maybe not in a manifestation like the incarnation, but through the ministry of His Spirit in this season of celebration, He, he whispers, peace be still. He brings comfort to our soul. He brings encouragement to our faith. He reminds us that our Savior has come, and He reminds us of all of the promises to come, and it leads us to a place like today where God's people worship. We must always be worshipful. But we must be able to differentiate between these seasons of promise where we're simply hanging on when, when our faith hasn't become sight, hanging on when God seems to be silent, hanging God on when, when we don't know where God is and His presence seems far from us. Those seasons of hope where we see Him answer prayer, those seasons of hope where He takes the Scriptures to the ministry of His Spirit, and He reminds us of His promises, and those glorious of hope, the promise that He has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west, and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It is that that sustains us, and we are living today in a season and in a world of hope, a confident expectation that it will be better someday and God's divine plan when He finally speaks, but a quiet comfort, a confident expectation that He will speak. And it's just a matter of time that leads us to worship. And that worship is all about the King, and that worship is the celebration of the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the celebration of Emmanuel, God with us, the fulfillment of all who wait the fulfillment of all who prayed, the fulfillment of all who've seen and beheld their King, Messiah. And our worship always results in the same thing, glory to the light of the world. Behold your King. While the world waits for a miracle, while the heart longs for a little bit of hope, Messiah has come. He bids us come and worship. That worship is in spirit and in truth. It always involves the Word, and the Word is truth. But it involves our spirit, and as Martin Luther has commented, we have this gift of music where we can sing that truth as an expression of our seasons of promise and seasons of hope and seasons of worship. But the most important reminder and this celebration on this particular day is that Jesus had come to save us all from our sins. Let's not cheapen that by believing that somehow He came to make our life a little bit easier, to bless us, to give us a little bit more, to, to take away our limp and to do whatever it is in our beck and whims. No, He'd come to do what only He could do, to bear the sins of many for the forgiveness of sins. And that is why we worship and I want you to know that in the midst of this season of worship, we will do our best, although it will be gravely incomplete. We will, we will do our best in this season of worship, although it will compare, pale in comparison to the future. And what is that future? As we close this morning, I'd remind you of the fulfillment of all the worship of all of the saints of God for all ages, sometime in the future. 
where John, as he gathered up into the heavens and given a glimpse of the throne of God and the people of God, writes in Revelation chapter 5, then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and forever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. May you know the King in the season of promise. May you see the King in your seasons of hope. May you worship the King always in seasons of worship until we're gathered together at the throne for the glory of God. And may you be blessed by all of this in this Christmas season. And may may it remind you of the things that matter most. This is Jesus the Savior of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the light of the world. Father, thank you. Simple reminders. We don't need to add, elaborate, or make up things or be creative. It's the truth. We have sung that truth. We have read that truth. And we have spoken of that truth And all who joined know about the seasons of promise, and all who joined know about the seasons of hope. May all of us know today in this season of celebration about the seasons of worship. And may you plant a desire in our heart for the day in which we worship before your throne, the glory of the King, the one who was slain for the sins of the world, our Savior, Messiah, Emmanuel, has come. Bless us indeed for the time we've spent together as we close our service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.